I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are studying the book of Isaiah this quarter, and we're in the fourth lesson now, uh, kind of ominously titled, The Hard Way. <laughs> and I can tell you just from that title alone, we're probably going to learn some life application lessons oh, sure. that we're going to uh, need to hear. Uh, but... Mark, why don't you give us a little overview. Where are we headed this week? Well, of course, we've been looking at the apostasy of Israel. Uh, we saw God's call of Isaiah the prophet to send them to Israel. And we've talked about uh, the death of Isaiah and Ahaz coming on the scene in previous lessons. And this lesson takes us through some of those pitfalls of Israel and ideally just tries to teach us some things from Israel's mistakes thus far. All right. Well, we're going to have some good lessons. We're going to get into the specific talking points and the order and, and flow. And from a, from a flow of, we're, we're basically going from Isaiah 7 into Isaiah chapter 8. Okay. With so it's continuing with that chronological yes. narrative. Okay. Well, let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll walk through our main talking points for the week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to study from the Word of God. Lord, these are stories from a long time ago, but they have striking relevance to our day-to-day. Help us to see the application and the lessons you have for us and help us to, uh, through your power and strength, uh, stand in these final times of Earth's history. If we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, what are our talking, talking points, points. All right. this week? Talking point number one is drawn from Sunday through Tuesday, and it is flee from idolatry. Sounds reasonable. Uh, that's our first talking point. <laughs> okay. And then we move into number two. There is nothing to fear when we fear God. That's drawn from Wednesday's lesson. And that phrase actually is in Wednesday's lesson. I thought it was a good talking point. And finally, number three, to the law and to the testimony, which is also outlined in Isaiah chapter 8 uh, from a very popular verse and a very important verse. And so those are our three talking points. Okay. Flee from idolatry, there's nothing to fear when we fear God, and to the law and to the testimony. Well, and as you mentioned from the intro, we're going to be learning from Israel's mistakes this time. And so clearly one of those mistakes was their relationship and falling into idolatry. Yes. What, what, can, we, what can we learn here? Flee from idolatry. Well, there's a, there's a, the, the first, you know, Sunday through Tuesday, a lot of it goes through, it picks up on a prophecy that starts in Isaiah 8 that really picks up on the same theme of Isaiah 7, that there mm -hmm. is a desolation coming because of Israel's unfaithfulness. And so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of that because our flee from idolatry is moving into some of the aftermath. Okay. Uh, said, in fact, uh, just in summary, the lesson says on Sunday, uh, paragraph 3, the last... Looks like the last sentence. So by 732, mm -hmm. within about two years of Isaiah's prediction, the prediction of Isaiah 7 and 8, Syria and Israel had been conclusively defeated, and it was all over for the two kings who had threatened Ahaz, as we looked at last night, uh, last week, Rezin of Syria and Pekah of Israel. Those two kings, you know, God had said they would be defeated. That was the fear, yeah. And thus it happened. And it continues on to say... In the next paragraph, the Assyrians took the capital city of Samaria in 722 B.C. and deported thousands of Israelites to Mesopotamia and Media, where they were absorbed into the local populations eventually and lost their identity. And so you have the total um, mm. destruction of Israel, captivity by the Assyrians or whatever. So all of this, you know, the Assyrian power is growing. The Assyrian 
empire is growing in power and strength. Okay, so and, the very things that he was fearing and look, we were looking at are now coming to fruition and happening. The, the, the two kings he was afraid of in the north now, who he was seeking, seeking league with the Assyrians yes. to get away from. Now the, he's getting it from the Assyrians exactly. a hundredfold. Right, exactly. So, so all these things have kind of shaken out that we studied last week. And the upshot of the whole thing is, is that now they're in this situation. The prophecies have been fulfilled, just as God has said. And so what happens next? Well, there are two, well, actually one major event, then a kind of a description of maybe a behind the scenes for it. The, the event we're talking about is in 2 Kings chapter 16. In the history, of course, there's all kinds of things we can read about in the rule of Ahaz, where he follows after these idolatrous ways. But in 2 Kings chapter 16, and picking up in verse 10, in fact, in the, in the first part of 2 Kings 16, it tells us that, that history, Ahaz yeah. did not follow after the course of David, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel who were following the abominations of the nations, making their kids pass through the fire and idolatrous worship, etc. But then it tells us in verse 10, Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the design of the altar and its pattern. Now this is not an altar of the Most High God. Right. This is an altar of paganism. Mm. But he sends a design to Uriah the priest uh, the design of the altar and its pattern according to its workmanship. Verse 11, then Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. So he burned his burnt offering and his grain offering and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood mm. of his peace offerings on the altar. He also brought the bronze altar, that is the altar of the Lord that was there in the temple, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great new altar, burn the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice and his grain offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. And the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Thus did Uriah the priest according to all the kingdom. So you have this, mm. basically he sees this heathen altar, has and a replica built. he likes the design of it. He likes something about it. And he's like, we need one of those in our church. Right. And so he brings this thing over here. And, but notice he doesn't get rid of the bronze altar. Right. He doesn't discard, and he, and he doesn't tear down the sanctuary and build a new one. He's like, let's just integrate some of this Damascus uh, paganism right over into the <laughs> altar of God and right. the house of God. And it's really a, a mess. I mean, honestly. Well, and you'd made up the point as we were talking earlier that it was his grandfather who had gone into the temple, you know, right. Uzziah. King Uzziah, who had he, been a good king, by right. the way. But he gets a little jealous of the role of the priests and their work, and he said, oh, I'm the king, why should I? <laughs> and so he gets into trouble, and the Lord rebukes him and, and punishes him for that. Um, we're here, this, this grandson now, is building his own altar <laughs> based on a pagan platform, brings it in <laughs> and makes his own sacrifices, moves the altar of God. I mean, if Uzziah was bad, That's right. Ahaz is just a mess. That's right. And, and uh, of course, it's interesting that it says that he tells Uriah the priest, um, oh, by the way, 
Uh, the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Almost like he relegates it. In fact, John Wesley puts it in these words. Speaking of the, the, um, the bronze altar, having thrust it out from the use for which it was instituted, which was to sanctify the gifts offered upon it, he, Ahaz, pretends to advance it above its institution. Right? I'm going to use it for special <laughs> in, in, <laughs> inquiry of God. Which is common for superstitious people to do. Right? They salve their conscience by doing that. But he says, Wesley says, to overdo is to underdo. Our wisdom is to do just what God has commanded. Mm. <laughs> and oh, that Ahaz would have done so. That. He so he thought he could modify the worship of God, integrate this other stuff. God wouldn't be, a, in fact, this would be an improvement. This would be, and yeah. What parallels <laughs> can we draw? I, I mean, if we're looking for modern day applications, they're probably abundant. Of uh, well, ways we let, can... listen to what J the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary also says on 2 Kings 16, verse 15. The sin in this affair consisted in meddling with and improving, according to human taste and fancy, the altars of the temple, the patterns of which had been furnished by divine authority. Hmm. Now, you talk about the patterns of the temple. You talk about the structure of the church. You talk about the organization of the church. Oh, yeah, the you talk about the, the doctrines <laughs> yeah. of the church, the baptismal requirements of the church. We can go right into and modified improved according to human taste and fancy. How many things today are we trying to improve above and beyond our Adventist pioneers mm. to fit with our modern taste, our human taste and or fancy? Or even not even just Adventist pioneers, but biblical framework, the inspiration of Absolutely. the spirit of prophecy that, you know, we take things and we'll say... That's what I meant. Well, that's what, I know it's just what you mean. Because our pioneers weren't all inspired and everything exactly, they did but, wasn't right. But, but, what, but they were attempting to say, whatever God's word says, we're going to follow it. Right. And the Lord blessed greatly in that degree. But now we look around and say, but... Look at how the other church, look at how the other things, maybe if we could have some of this. We, and well, my point is, and, Pioneers, it, 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 in saying that, is Pioneers is old-fashioned. Right, right. Yeah. In order to make things more relevant, we've got to, and, you know, hey, we get this dusty well, old bronze altar, but there's this new sleek altar <laughs> in, in the Damascus. New in, in the Old Testament example here, again, he doesn't destroy the temple. He doesn't get rid of the thing. He just modifies it and it recalibrates it, integrates some new stuff into it. You look at the... Uh, you know, in the New Testament, when and when Paul is counseling Timothy, he says, um, "Do the work of evangelists, but people are going to come with their itching ears, seeking it, and they're not trying to leave the church. They just they just want to hear what they want to hear in the church." Right. And That's so, right. even in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, and I'm not going to get in trouble for saying this because I'll just say that you said it, but <laughs> but you I'll have oftentimes people who will no longer be in doctrine and lifestyle Seventh Day Adventists won't leave the church. Right. But they'll stay in the church, but try to bring those other things in or modify exactly or tone right. on this one or pick up this one or realign this one or, or view it through this way or present it in such. And all of a sudden, it's not the Advent. What he was doing, what he's doing here That's in 2 right. Kings is no longer the worship that God established, even though it might have it the same place and the same names of things. It's pagan worship in the temple of God. It is. That's what it is. And and it's interesting that if you, you and I've mentioned that this next little thing, gives insight, 2 Chronicles 28, gives us insight into his motivation. It says in 2 Chronicles 28, verse 22, Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him. Let's pause and say, mm. why did the gods of Damascus defeat him? 
because the Lord permitted them to, because the Lord even sent his prophet to warn him, and he refused and rejected right. the counsel of the prophet. And so God allows the enemies to defeat him. But notice. And now he views that as like they have a superior God. Yeah. <laughs> now in time of his distress, he became, for he sacrificed to the gods, again, verse 23, of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them mm. that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. It's not that Damascus had better gods, it's that Israel had this bad king, right? And so, But he never puts the problem right. on himself. He's like, well, I'm good. Their God must be better. And, and even the prosperity, and God, and we'll see this as we go on in Isaiah, that even the prosperity of the Assyrians was because God was bringing them as a scourge upon his people. In other words, mm -hmm. God was the one to do all the glory and honor. He's like, no, I'm going I'm to offer to their gods. And part of, you know, part of that leads me to think of the Ark of the Covenant when, you know, the, listen, the uh, Philistines put it on an ox cart mm -hmm. and it was okay for them. So we'll put it on an ox cart, right? <laughs> so and, then it, and then Uzzah dies by true. touching the, yeah. the point is that when a person doesn't know, God winks at ignorance. And there are oftentimes God's faithful people who look at people who have less light. There are Seventh-day Adventists who look at Christians of other denominations and say, well, God blesses them not keeping, keeping Sunday, so why do I keep Sabbath? Because mm. they don't know about Sabbath. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Whether it be, and I'm using that as an example, that we're accountable for what we know and what we have. He looked at what he saw as prosperity he was reading, mm. perceiving the prosperity of the Assyrians that it was due to their gods or their mm. way of worship or whatever else, when it was God in his mercy sparing them and et cetera, mm. et cetera. You understand what absolutely. I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. So he goes and he, he's trying to adopt. This is a problem with experience-driven theology. You know? Okay, all right. right. Yes. My theology, well, I feel this way. It seems yeah. to me like this works better. Right. And it's just like Wesley says, we, or, or J. Fawcett Brown comes in, um, meddling and trying to improve God's ways according to human taste. It seems like a better way to me. Yeah, well, there's a way that seems right to a man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the, the end, end is there of death. death, yeah. So this we see, so anyway, this brings us to the point. Talking point is flee from idolatry. Uh, this was not brought up in this lesson, but last week's lesson, and we didn't, we didn't cover it. It was, it was actually couched in it. But in 1 Corinthians 10, we read the passage right. where the Lord says that uh, if there's a uh, that God will always make a way of escape right. for any temptation. It's a very well-known passage, right? And we, yeah, and we love that passage. It's like, hey, you know, the Lord will make a way of escape. A lot of times, that's in verse 13 of 1 mm -hmm. Corinthians 10. Verse 14 says, therefore, therefore my beloved, flee from idolatry. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and you got them right there. Read yeah. both verses. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will oh. not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape. Amen. Stop there. No, no, no. Stop there. <laughs> that's great. So there's a way of escape, and that's all I need to know. But the Nobody next ever word, goes on to the way. Therefore, <laughs> my beloved, flee from idolatry. The, the implication that's the there, that's escape. the way of escape is by fleeing from that idolatry. Don't and going linger back to around the, yeah. idolatry. And this is what we see in the history of Ahaz. Ahaz, if he only would have fled from idolatry. So but true. What did it say? Here, um, again in Second Chronicles 28, verse 22, Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful. Mm. Okay? Step by step, more and more and more and more and more, increasingly right. unfaithful. So the idea of fleeing idolatry, had he 
he in he he mingled with the idolaters and then step by step by step by step he became more idolatrous. Right. And every distress led him to further disobedience Absolutely. instead of further faithfulness. So Mercy. talking point number one: flee, flee from, from idolatry. idolatry. All right, number two though, time is going on. There is nothing to fear when we fear God. Okay, <laughs> and that's drawn from if we continue on in Isaiah chapter yep. eight. So the Lord continues to... Verses 11 through 15. Yeah. You want to read it? I'm still turning sure. to it. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. Now let's pause there for a minute. This says conspiracy. The King James says confederacy, which I think gives a better sense of what this is trying to say. Mm -hmm. And the idea is people are confederating together. They're conspiring together. So there's a group of people that are pushing and Mm -hmm. pressuring you to go a certain way. Mm -hmm. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. They're trying to, no, 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 you need to do this for whatever reason. And we live in a society where you have groupthink. And oh, just mercy, pressuring. Yeah. And so, hey, don't say, don't jump on board on the bandwagon with all mm-hmm. these people who are conspiring together, who are mm-hmm. confederating and grouping up and teaming up. Don't let them be your mm-hmm. fear. Well, in fact, he says, uh, verse 13 again, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Hmm. Now the lesson is going into the idea of what the fear of God is and the importance of it. Right. It's interesting to me though, even in the context, let him be your fear and him be your dread. So that sounds like terror right there and servile fear. Right. But then he says, he will be as a sanctuary. sanctuary So that doesn't seem to match from from the standpoint or vantage point of servile fear. Mm-hmm. Now, many of our viewers know that when the Bible says fear God, it's not talking about servile fear, terror. Right. It's talking about a reverential awe, yes. if you will. Yes, it does talk about that. And, yeah, uh, I keep, we've talked about this many well, lesson, times, but the lesson brings out Let me out read this. In, yeah. in the, Wednesday's lesson, right smack in the middle of the page is the third paragraph. says, true fear of God as holy means that you recognize him as the ultimate power in the universe. Such fear overcomes any other fear. If he is for you, nobody else can touch you without his permission. If he is against you because you have rebelled against him, you can run, but you can't hide. (laughs) (laughs) That's a way of putting it. Well, I mean, I think of like Jacob in his time of trouble when the Lord is wrestling with him, right? He's wrestling and then all of a sudden he miraculously touches his hip and demonstrates his power. And he realizes, like, I'm completely undone compared to this. But he hasn't killed me yet, so he's got to love me. So there's a tension here. I fear him, but I'm going to cling to him, you know? That's right. Even, like he said, you can run, but you can't hide. But even when the Lord's running us down and we can't hide from him, he's doing it to save us. Exactly. So it's (laughs) like he's got our best interest in mind, even in the view of this fear. Um, So that's a helpful thing to think about. So the Lord is encouraging the people to fear him. And again, our talking point is there's nothing to fear when we fear God. I love, and I've shared this in in previous lessons, um, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is an allegory of uh, salvation and what have you, Christ is represented by a a lion called Aslan. Mm -hmm. And in a little passage of the book, there's a conversation that goes on between young girl Susan and Mr. Beaver. It's a talking (laughs) beaver, anyway. (laughs) 
about Aslan the lion. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And, of course, Lewis yeah. is using this to try to con convey that, no, God's not safe. He's not almighty. Safe at all. Yeah. God in his presence, mountains quake and tremble, yeah. but he's good. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's a great imagery for the fear we should have of God. We yes. should recognize his power and authority and sovereignty, but at the same time, his heart is for us. Yes. All right. So, uh, at the quarterly uh, on Wednesday, in the bottom of the page, the question is asked, are the, there things the world fears that Christians shouldn't fear. And, you know, this almost seems like a dangerous question at this time. Sure. Like the world is afraid of ecological or economic disaster or political uprising or, or even pandemic, pandemic and all this kind of stuff. So should Christians look at all those things like, I'm not afraid, nothing can <laughs> touch me. I'm, I've got the fear of God and so I, is it, is it that, should we be dismissive of those realities because we have the fear of the Lord, or what does that mean for our life application? I guess that's kind of what the question is going for here. Right. And, of course, we, we talked about this before. That really would be presumptuous. You, you know, God is, is again, when the, de when the devil tells Jesus, don't be afraid of, of the height. Yeah, Cast yourself, yourself off the temple yeah. and God will save you. And then Jesus applies appropriately mm -hmm. uh, not to tempt the Lord your God. Obviously, precautions... And, and being wise and, um, and cautious in dangerous situations right. is, is wisdom. It'd be yeah. presumptuous not to be. And so you talk about COVID or whatever else, mm -hmm. there are precautions that should be taken. But neither should a, crip, uh, a Christian be crippled by fear mm -hmm. to the point that, I mean, I want to tell you there are Christians I know that are just can't even function right now. Mm -hmm. And it's not precaution it's it's just, it's just downright fear, fear. Yeah. and and i can relate there are things that i'm afraid of if i let myself so what is it that the fear of the lord will do in that situation as you're bringing up it doesn't right. make me flippant and careless and right i'm not immune from all things right. that i'm no and and i think some people would say like don't worry i've got god so i'm going to do this and all of a sudden if you have that mindset then you do get sick or run into yeah. a financial problem or some sort of... What happened? Like, I thought I believed in God. And we have a picture of this almost a recklessness that we think is what Christians have, when the reality is we should be cautious, we should be diligent, we should be, you know, uh, you know, all the different things we should be. But if, I mean, I think about like, even in the, in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul talks about his teaching about death, mm -hmm. he's like, First of all, death is real, yeah. and you're going to face it. But I don't want you to suffer as those mourn who are those who don't have hope, right? That we, we approach these issues in life from a different perspective. That we have, there is a God on the throne. He has our ultimate good in mind. Right. And my faith is in him for my long-term security. That's right. I'm not looking to a government agency. I'm not looking to my own financial crisis. I'm not looking for my own. Nothing here. God permits sickness yeah, and death. God exactly. permits trials. There's a point where you have to believe that you're going to do your best and then God's going to be in control of certain things. Right. Um, what did the Apostle Paul say? Yeah. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Right. If I keep living, his attitude, as I understand that, is to say, like, if I live now, 
Christ who lives okay. with me. I'm going to keep doing his work and be faithful. But if I die, okay, I go to sleep and I see him face to face. Well, he also talks in Hebrews about those who all their lifetime through fear were subject to bondage. There's mm. a point where you can let fear control you yes. to a point where you can't even be faithful in service to God. And mm -hmm. so... Um, there's more that could be said on this, but the yes. idea, the question of the lesson is, are there things that the world fears that the Christian shouldn't fear? Probably everything. A Christian's, a Christian shouldn't fear. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're talking about being pre uh, uh, cautious about things is not fear. Taking right. proper precautions is not fear. Um, so, but no, a Christian should not. Why should a Christian fear? As you said, as the Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is And clearly from Ahaz's experience, he let fear of those temporal things guide his actions and Into shake his faithfulness. Direction. Exactly. So we That's don't right. want to be those people. Well, the lesson goes on, or our point goes on. We're going into talking point number three, to the law and to the testimony. And God, continuing on in Isaiah 8, says, listen, here's what I want you to do. Uh, when this confederacy comes to you and they say to you, verse 19, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? And something we need to keep a point is, mm. when we're talking about Ahaz and the gods of Damascus and whatever, false religion is predicated on spiritualism. And even yes, as I was is. thinking about it, the lesson talks about new age. It's not just new age. It's old age. It's, <laughs> it's modern Christianity is yes. filled with spiritualism, the belief that you can communicate with the dead. That's what spiritualism is. And the worship, the gods of the heathen were people who had died mm -hmm. and had their spirits had gone on and those were the gods they worshipped. And, and so, that we think the state of the dead is just like, oh, one of those little kitschy things that we believe is just one of the list of seven distinctions. Right. But the reality is, I mean, even evangelicalism, Catholicism, pantheism, exactly right. New Ageism, occultism, Eastern religion, all everything. of that stuff has that one supernatural uh, superstitious thing going through it. Right. And so the Lord's counsel then is a counsel to us now when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards. You know, should the people seek their, the living, the dead on behalf of the living? Mm. To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And many are familiar with Isaiah 8.20, but not in the context of spiritualism. Mm. So the lesson highlights that a little bit. Uh, these religions of paganism were rooted in spiritualism and that, uh, that uh, Ahaz was getting involved in, which God had explicitly warned against. There's plenty of warnings in the Bible. We have some in, in the outline. The lesson mentions Leviticus 20.27 20, and Deuteronomy 8. 9 to 14, just a couple places. Mm -hmm. They were punishable by death, by the way. Mm. Um, they were so, the Lord was very explicit against those. And most modern religions are forms of spiritualism. Well, and you would think, like, it's, it's kind of interesting. Why would you seek the dead, you know, on behalf of the living? Like, you're living, why would you seek some dead thing, like a dead person or something right. like this, when you could seek from the Word of God? Right. Which implies that the Word of God is living. living. And sometimes I think people want a fresh experience. I want something yes. new. But that experience you're getting from spiritualism is dead. That's right. What you get from the Word of God is living and active, right? And so we th sometimes think of this as like antiquated and dormant, and we've had this. Yeah. But this is the most vibrant thing you can get counsel from. Well, know. the lesson brings a quote on uh, uh, Friday about a couple quotes on spiritualism. Um, halfway through Friday's quote, it says, uh, the very name of witchcraft is now held in contempt, unless you're talking about Wiccanism or something, but ancient witchcraft with Salem witch trials, ha, 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 that's ridiculous. 
Oh, that's what it's saying. Mm -hmm. The claim that men can hold intercourse or communication with evil spirits is regarded as a fable of the Dark Ages. But spiritualism, which numbers its converts by hundreds of thousands, yea, by millions, which has made its way into scientific circles, which has invaded churches, which has found favor in legislative bodies, and even in the courts of kings, this mammoth deception is but a revival in a new disguise of the witchcraft condemned mm. and prohibited of old. Mm. And there's another, that's from Great Controversy 556, and there's another one from Great Controversy 588. Maybe you can read that. Sure. Through the two great errors, the immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, Satan will bring the people under his deceptions. As spiritualism more closely imitates the nominal Christianity of the day, it has greater power to deceive and ensnare. Satan himself is converted, after the modern order of things. Hmm. He will appear in the character of an angel of light. Through the agency of spiritualism, miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and many undeniable wonders will be performed. And as the spirits will profess faith in the Bible and manifest respect for the institutions of the church, their work will be accepted as a manifestation of divine power. It's interesting. Ooh. There's a lot of spiritualistic activity today that, that claim a, a loose faith in the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, oh yeah, we believe in the Bible, but it doesn't. they don't follow the Bible. Right. But it's like, oh, we believe that and have that anyway, and it gains people's confidence. Well, anyway, it's deception. Mm -hmm. it's the well, and, so, and how much we think about the coming Sunday crisis and the worship, you know, uh, issue is going to be in the last days, but it's going to be the the... How do you say this? The grease for the skids is going to be laid by spiritualism That's to bring exactly in this, right. right? The two go together. Well, because it appeals to feelings and emotions, mm. you know, and that new experience you're talking about instead of this dusty old book. Mm -hmm. And so, and it is much more in harmony with our carnal hearts. It really is. be told. Yeah. So, you know, we have in the record, in scripture, we have the record of the sad end of all who yielded, you know, of course, the Bible tells the rejection of Saul because he sought the witch of Endor in First mm -hmm. Chronicles uh, 10, 13, 14. The lesson brings that out. And then, of course, Ahaz, poor Ahaz of all the kings was not buried with the rest of the kings because of his unfaithfulness in general. Mm. Um, uh, we have the overthrow of the woman Babylon at the end of time, the, the spirit of Babylon, yeah. because uh, her sorceries, by her sorceries, she deceived the nation. So you mm -hmm. have that. So... Uh, it's, it doesn't end well for those who seek the ways of spiritualism to the law and to the testimony. The scriptures are our only safeguard. Mm. And it says in Great Controversy 593 to 595, and, and this is, you know, uh, uh, summarized a little bit here. It says, The multitudes do not want Bible truth because it interferes with the desires of the sinful world-loving heart. And Satan supplies the deceptions which they love. But God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as a standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms. Satan is constantly endeavoring to attract attention to man in the place of God. He leads the people to look to bishops, to pastors, to professors of theology as their guides instead of searching the scriptures to learn the duty for themselves. Then by controlling the minds of these leaders, he can influence the multitudes according to his will. And again, mercy. we see this group think in our world today, God have mercy. No, the scriptures are only safeguard to the law and to the testimony. Mm. Now, if we were leading this discussion in a local class, we'd encourage you to go to the summary statement. And it looks like every lesson is going to have one of those. Yes, that the, that the, I appreciate that. Yeah, contributors mm -hmm. put in. So we want to uh, encourage people to read through those. But uh, what, a, what a powerful lesson and reminder that we've had today. Maybe we should just read through this as we close today, too. Mm -hmm. Through Isaiah's actions and family, as well as his words, God reinforced the message of warning and hope. The only safe course is to trust that God knows what he is doing. He has both Amen. the love and power to guide, protect, and provide for those who let him. For those who turn to other powers, there is only gloom. Amen.
Lord, save us from that. Let's Absolutely. pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us these words of instruction and warning. And Lord, as we look around us, we know that there are things that are scary and frightening and we could be afraid of. And while we, wanted to be, we want to be cautious and careful, we want to be um, confident in the Lord and his strength. Please, Lord, give us the vision we need to see. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.